Well, good morning, everybody. Let's begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we just want to once again thank you for all that you've done for us, all you've given us. We thank you, Father, for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that he did become man while remaining God, and he did go to the cross to die for our sins. We thank you for that inexpressible gift. We thank you that you raised him from the dead to new life. And whoever believes in your son will also have that eternal life. Father, we also want to thank you for the spirit who's in our hearts and for your word that is alive and powerful. That word that speaks louder and louder the more things fall apart around us. So sweet to us to be able to go there and hear once again more from your mind, from your will, from your love for us. We're going to do that again today, Father. So we would ask that the Holy Spirit would be with all of us, as he is, to enlighten us and to challenge us with your word. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. This morning, we're going to jump right into the message after one announcement, which, of course, is the missionary organization this month, Mission Aviation Fellowship. Once again, by way of reminder, they, uh, they have flights, airplanes, and they support churches on the ground, local evangelists that are spreading the gospel. They provide access that the people otherwise wouldn't have to medical care and, and, and disaster relief when there are disasters. They also bring together the resources for community development projects because everything needs to be flown into these really remote places. So please keep them in prayer. If you have an opportunity to support them in any way, please do so. Their website is really simple. It's three letters, maf.org. All right. Title of today's message, as it always does, comes from First Chapter First Timothy chapter six, which is the passage that we're on this morning. If you could turn now to First Timothy six, starting in verse seventeen. First Timothy six seventeen. Yeah, I would hardly recommend. This is an aside, but uh, I recommend the Psalms these days. Um, David, you know, went through some incredible things. He had incredible persecution, and um, he did. He wasn't shy about telling us about it and going to the Lord in prayer. And so, as, as we as we see things happening in our world and in our country, it really is a comfort and um, to be going to the Psalms and understand. David went through this centuries ago when he had everybody against him and he was persecuted, and yet he was able to, to go to the Lord. And have it out in that sense and hear from the Lord and have him comfort him and trust in him that he knew he was his only hope. So I just encourage that for all of us these days. I was reading Psalm 62 this morning, for example. All right, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Let's begin. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them, the rich, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life 
indeed. This morning we see that uh, verse 17 brings us back to a subject that we last saw in in chapter 6, verses 7 to 10, and that is wealth and riches. I'd like you to just refresh your memory by going just back a few verses to verse 9 of 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, 9, this is where we were a couple of weeks ago. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. He, of course, had, he had a case study in that because he was describing what he saw with the false teachers who were, who were desiring to get rich off their ministries. They thought that that godliness, the fake godliness that they were trying to project, was a way for them to be prosperous. And, of course, Paul and the Lord turned that around. But, but you can see that here it's people who want to get rich. They want to get It's a desire. It's a lust that they have in their hearts. Now, we saw this morning, he brings us in verse 17. He says, instruct those who are rich. Those are two different groups of people. All right? There's people who want to get rich, and there's people who are rich. And, and he says different things to them. As a matter of fact, he's much more condemning of the, of the desire and the lust to get, to get rich than it is to be rich. In fact, he's not condemning at all of being rich. He's just going to warn the rich about temptations that they have or face. But those who desire to get rich, that has to do with uh, their, their, their priorities and, um, and the, thing, the greed and so forth. That will get them in all kinds of difficulty, as we see here. A snare, and many foolish and harmful desires and ruin and destruction. Okay, so again, verses 9 and 10 describe those who want to get rich. All right, they want to get rich. Now, there we saw that they, there's a virtue that they needed to practice, and that was contentment, to be satisfied with what God has provided them, and not always to be striving for more. Verses 17 to 19, on the other hand, instruct those who are already wealthy. Already wealthy. By the way, you can be both. You can be desiring to get rich and already wealthy. So they're not mutually exclusive. But the point here is that just being wealthy is not sinful. But there are some things that come with it. Both temptations you want to avoid and opportunities you want to take advantage of. And he talks about that. Just like the virtue of contentment is needed by those who wish they were richer, there's another virtue for those who are already wealthy, and that's generosity. So again, those who want to get rich... Instead of those harmful desires, instead be content with what you have. Those who are already wealthy, be generous to others. So that's basically, in a nutshell, the difference in how this is his whole teaching, as it were in this letter anyway, on wealth and riches can be boiled down to those things. If 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 you find yourself desirous of more, be content with what you have. If you're already wealthy, be generous. Share what God has provided you with other people. God has provided us all with riches. We're going to see this this morning. There are different kinds and different measures. But he promises to take care of us, and he does. Now, there are two vices here that you have to be careful of. And by the way, these are for everybody. Like I said, you can be desiring wealth And you have wealth. I mean, all of us have some wealth, all right? As a matter of fact, compared to the rest of the world, anybody in the United States is wealthy. My gosh, I I was uh, listening to a a Chinese-American pastor who did a conference in China. 
And he was, at the end, he, he had invited some questions. And one of them said, can, uh, you guys have a lot of freedom in this country, don't you? Isn't that wonderful? What, what can you have to tell us about it? And the pastor said, well, yeah, we have a lot of freedom in our country, but you guys have been here for four days. And you've been, and you've been sitting on the floor listening to me preach for four or five hours a day. He says, back in the United States, they got beautiful cars. They, go, they can go, you know, if they go more than a half hour out of their way, they're really feeling inconvenienced. They come to a place that's air-conditioned in the summertime, heated in the wintertime. You've got all these amenities, and they can't, they can't stay for more than an hour without complaining. So he says, you know what? He says, the other thing is, is that um, you guys, many of you on foot, have come from far distance to be here. In other words, they don't have what we have for transportation, for facilities, for housing, but they do have a desire for the things of the Lord. And he said to himself, don't, I don't want you to be more like us. I want us to be more like you. You see, we have wealth that's unimaginable to most of the world. That's okay. He doesn't want you to feel guilty about it. As a matter of fact, he wants to enjoy what he's given you. Okay, he, he gives you things for your enjoyment, but he gives you more than you need in certain areas so that you can share it with others. So desiring wealth you don't have is a vice, but so is setting your hope on the wealth that you do have. Those are both bad. All right? You look at your situation, you say, I wish I had more. That's not going to do you any good. On the other hand, if you have what you need and you set your hope on it, that's not good any, anymore either. Okay, so those are the two different situations, the two different vices, and the two different virtues. Let's go back to verse 17 now. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Notice, in this present world. Okay, because he's going to talk about the present world and the age to come. And he's going to make a huge distinction. What he's saying here is that the riches that you have, the wealth that you have, that's for this world only. When you, we saw this already. When you die, those things are going to be of no use to you. However, there are riches that will, that will extend not only for this life, but also for the life to come. And he's going to talk about those. In any event, instruct those who are rich in this present world temporarily not to be conceited, arrogant. Think more highly of yourself than you ought, but rather to fix, or sorry, to fix their hope, fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. That psalm I was telling you about this morning was when David was in a situation where he had nothing, he had everybody persecuting, but he realized that he had one hope, and it was in the Lord. So that's, what, that's, the, that's the issue, that's the danger for people who are wealthy, that all of a sudden they trust in their riches rather than God. Do not fix their they, I'll start again, verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. We know by this that there were some members of the Ephesian congregation who were quite wealthy. Others were not. But with wealth comes certain temptations, certain temptations, and we see them here. The first one is to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. There's something about riches that cause us to become puffed up if we're not careful. All of a sudden, like the, like the man in the parable who was hoarding up riches, he thought that, gee, look what I've done. Look at the, look at the wealth I've created, okay? 
and, and all of a sudden you think that your wealth sets you apart from others, that you're better than others. This is a temptation. This isn't a critique of those who are rich so much as it is a warning to say, if you do have wealth of a certain kind, be careful that you don't become arrogant. Okay, think more highly of yourself than you ought to. That's one of the temptations. And the other one we see here is to think you can rely on wealth rather than on God. Forgetting that it's God who is the one who has provided it to you in the first place. It was never about you and being and your own effort and activity to become wealthy. It was God deciding to give it to you. So your trust should be in him. Your reliance should always be on him. No matter how wealthy you are, no matter how you've been blessed in certain areas in life, you know, if you're healthy, God bless you. Thank God for it. But don't think there's anything special about you that causes you to be healthy when another person is not. But instead, use that wealth. Enjoy the wealth of health while you have it. And then be there for others who may need you in your healthy condition. That's the principle here. So the two temptations for the rich, to to be arrogant and to put their hope in riches rather than on God. So again, the... um, Let's read verse 17 again. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. The first one is I want you to think in your own life. I want you to think in your own life that you have a need. We all have needs in the future that we can think about and concerned about. You're anticipating a need in the future. Maybe you need a new car. Maybe you need a new roof on your house. Maybe you have a child that needs an education. Maybe you have health problems that you're looking, that you're looking at in the future. And now you're concerned. How am I going to meet that need? And it's, and it's of course, natural. The, the natural human thinking is, well, I better get wealth so that I'm ready for those things. All right? Well, you know, it's interesting. If you are penniless, you can't trust in your wealth. You can only trust in God. So, so I want you to think about, for example, the widows in Ephesus. Remember, they had nothing. They were destitute. They were reliant, ultimately, on the Lord, but on the Lord having people come through for them. And, you know, there's a certain richness in having people around you, Christians around you, who will be there for you no matter what, rather than thinking, I'm going to rely on what I can save, what I can do, because that can all go away. And, and so think about, again, a need you have in the future, or you think you might have, and ask yourself an honest question. Where is my trust in that I'm going to have what I need in the future? Where am I trusting Are you trusting in the bank account you have or the investments that you have or the equity that you have in your house or whatever it is? Or are you still trusting in the Lord? You're saying, I don't know what's going to happen with my wealth in the future, but it really doesn't matter because it was never about that anyway. It's great that the Lord has graced me out, but he's going to grace me out in the future. And whatever need I have, he's going to meet it. I don't know how. It may be different from how he's met it in the past, but I'm I'm not going to focus so much on the gift. I'm going to focus on the giver. And when you do that, you know what? You have contentment in any situation in life, because it's off your shoulders. I mean, if you ever look at people who are trying to get wealthy or trying to preserve their wealth, I mean, I think of these crazy day traders, you know, there's people out there that 
spend a lot of their time. Matter of fact, some of them think it's a full-time job just to manage their assets. You know, I'm going to move this money around here. I'm going to move it around there. And they're never really at ease. They're always thinking, they wake up in the middle of the night, gee, I wonder if that was the right investment today. Let me look at the stocks for tomorrow and let's see what's going to happen. What are the futures predicting and all of that? There's, not, there's no rest and peace in that, you know? Um, so we've got to realize that we're, if we're trusting in the uncertainty of riches, we're making a big mistake. But of course, if you have riches, then the temptation is there to do that, to rely on that. But here's the point. There's no guarantee for any of us that our wealth will be there for us when we need it. There's no guarantee at all. You know, um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote, you know what? When wealth increases, so are all the things that want to take it from us, like other people. Or, Or a lot of times when we have extra money, we actually spend it frivolously. We invest in things that really don't have anything to do with what we need in life. We may, we may buy a car that's, you know, $50,000 more than we would have bought if we didn't have the money. We might buy a million-dollar house rather than a modest house. And all of a sudden, what's going to happen? Our needs have multiplied. I want you to think about it. I was thinking about this for our country, too. You know, if you're, if you're living in a million-dollar house and then something happens, you need to sell it. Now, all of a sudden, you feel deprived. Oh, I had that. Now, I really don't have what I need. On the other hand, if you're living in a duplex and you get to move into a two, three-bedroom house, now you feel rich. You know, it's, it's really not about the level. It's not about the money. It's about what you're content with and that the Lord is going to provide for you no matter what. That's really the issue. And so, I mean, I was thinking about even in this country, you know, we have enjoyed unbelievable wealth in this country for a long, long time. I mean, there are people, uh, myself, my whole life, I've never been in a situation where I thought our economy is crumbling and our standard of living is going to plummet. Never had that. Oh, yeah, we've had some scares and some unemployment and recessions. But nothing like, like our, our, you know, if you look back, let's say, in the 20s, in the, well, in the 30s, actually, and what happened to this country and the bread lines and the 35% unemployment and people losing their houses, their cars, you know, We've had a good run when it comes to prosperity. Compare ourselves again to other countries, where, where like in Venezuela, where the inflation rate is like five thousand percent a year. How's that money in the bank looking now, <laughs> when 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 you're earning maybe five percent on it, but your cost of living is going up five thousand percent? I don't mean to scare anybody, but the point is is that there's no guarantee that our wealth will always be there. Okay, in fact, there's a lot of things going wrong in our nation right now that would strongly suggest that the future for the prosperity in this country is at risk. Now, I'm I'm not here to talk about the economics, but the mindset. Okay, so if you've placed your trust in the idea that, or literally a trust, right, or the idea that you know what I'm going to keep getting richer and richer, what I have I'm going to be able to keep. Let me tell you something. All of us are one tragedy away from losing most of what we have. Well, I shouldn't say all of us, but most of us. One tragedy away from losing a lot of our wealth. You know, maybe it is a health situation. Maybe it, maybe it is a, a, a tragedy that you want to help other people out in your family. Whatever it is, there's no guarantee that our wealth will be there for us when we need it. Especially if we're, if we're not that wealthy, because um, when the economics... Here I am teaching an economics class again. But those who, those who have newly acquired wealth very often lose it as fast as they gained it. 
Right? That's a principle too. People win the lottery and all of a sudden they don't have enough money a year later. Things like that. So there's no guarantee that your wealth will be there for you when you need it. Here's the picture. Crash. I don't mean, I don't mean to make light of it, but it's true. It's true. But here's the thing. Here's the thing we have to remember instead. You see, our wealth might not be there. Our friends might not be there. But you know who will be there? The Lord will be there when you need him. If there's a crash in your life and you're at the bottom of a pit, the Lord will be up there reaching for you to rescue you from the pit. He's your shepherd. You'll never want. That's the mindset you ought to have. That'll put you at rest. When you realize that nothing can happen to me in life that's too horrible for the Lord, that's too difficult for him. He can do the impossible. So once I set my mind at rest about that, now I'm not worried about how much money I have this week or last week or what's going to happen in the future. You can drive yourself crazy worrying about what might happen in the future and whether you have what you need. Here's the answer. In human terms, you don't have what you need in any way, shape, or form. You don't have control over your life. You don't have the guarantee that whatever you've stored up will be there for you. You don't even, you don't know what your health is going to be from one day to the next. You don't have any guarantees in this world or what you can control in your own flesh and blood. You just don't. But, but what does that mean? It means that you have to rely on the Lord all the time. And when you do, you rest. You, you'll be able to, um, just be, be confident in your life. That's what you want to get to. The Lord will always be there when you need him. If you're the lost sheep, he'll leave the 99 and come and get you. That's what you need. That's who you need in life. So that whether this is going on with your, with your fortunes in life or your health in life, it really doesn't matter. Because he's there for you at all times and in all ways. Now here's the thing about the Lord. If you rely on your own wealth, trust me, this is a risky bet. You're betting that somehow you can engineer things or that nothing real bad is going to happen to you so that your wealth will be there. That's a risky bet, honestly. On the other hand, relying on God is a sure thing. You know why? He loves you. Not only that, but he's all-powerful. Not only that, but he has infinite wealth. And he knows the future. All things that you can't say about really anything in, in the world. Okay, the, the, does your bank love you? Any hands? My bank loves me. No. Does that, is that financial advisor have infinite wealth or know the future? No. I'm going to tell you something. Not even the U.S. Treasury has what the Lord has for you. That love, that infinite wealth, that knowledge of the future. After all, you know, you're trusting on a financial advisor to tell you the future or a friend or whatever it is about the financial situation. They don't know. Okay, the Lord does know. He's made provision for you in eternity past. You see, and again, this is a mindset because if you're focused on your wealth and putting your trust in it, guess what you're not doing? You're not, not only, you're not, you're not developing your relationship with the Lord, but you're also not doing what you're supposed to be doing with the wealth that you have now. Please turn to Psalm 127, verse 2. Psalm 127, verse 2. People that want to get rich, people want to keep the wealth they have. Look at Psalm 127, verse 2. Here's a description of what we're like. When we're trying to earn it on our own and make it on our own. 
Psalm 127.2. We want to get richer, richer than the next guy. Psalm 127.2. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. That's those who want to get rich, don't do it themselves, trust in their own riches, get ahead in life. But he, for he gives to his beloved, that's us, children of God, even in his sleep. And that, I want you to think about that. You have a choice. Let's say it's, it's 7 o'clock at night. And you can either, you know, make another phone call, try to make another deal, try to figure out what the stock market's going to be tomorrow. Um, or you can just say to yourself, you know what? The Lord's going to give to me in my sleep tonight. I mean, isn't that a comforting thought? And by the way, he does that. Um, you know, maybe not from one day to the next, but there's all, he, he has this way of having wealth of different kinds ready for us when we need it. All of a sudden, you hear these stories all the time about particularly Christians, right, who all of a sudden they said, you know, I didn't know how I was going to make it with what's going on with the bills for that, my health and, you know, and all the other expenses I have. And just somehow or other, uh, the Lord made sure I got it. Maybe it was, you know, maybe it was, you know, an investment that really did well. Maybe it was a friend that understood your need and came through for you. Maybe it was an expense. This is what happens, an expense that you thought you needed to um, pay for and you didn't. Those are the big things, you know, and we don't think about that as the Lord giving to us. But that sure is. It sure is. I mean, if you not making a lot of money, but you're keeping your health, well, you've avoided some expenses right there. If, if, you're, if you're satisfied with where you are, you're avoiding some costs and so forth. If people don't think you're a wealthy person, they're not going to be bugging you about all things and bringing all their, well, their financial issues to you. All right. So there's a lot of ways in which the Lord can uh, keep us in, in financial security, if I want to put it that way, um, such that he really does give us things in our sleep. Look at Psalm chapter 4 now. Go back to Psalm 4. Starting in verse 7. Psalm 4, 7. Again, relying on your own wealth, that's a risky bet. Relying on God is a sure thing. Psalm chapter 4, verse 7. One of my favorite passages. I say it all the time. I've been been counting it up now. I think I have 1,847 favorite passages. (laughs) And counting. any event, Psalm chapter 4, verse 7. You have put gladness in my heart. In other words, my bucket list, once I kind of churn through some of it, it really doesn't put that lasting gladness in my heart. I look at the rich and they're miserable when they're trying to get more than somebody else and flaunt their riches. It doesn't work. That doesn't give you gladness and contentment in your heart. You put it there, Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and wine, new wine abound. In other words, don't be jealous. You know, you see, I pick on commercials because they're right in front of us. But you see the, the, what the world is trying to convince you of. Like, you know what? The way to really be wealthy, the way to really, you know, enjoy life, the way to have love come back in your life is to take a two-week vacation on some island. Right? That's what they tell us, you know. They have, I haven't said this in a while, so I'll say it. I, what kills me more than anything else are the commercials for the casinos, where they have everybody wins, everybody's young and beautiful, you know, and then you end up going. <laughs> You're like, oh, this is a totally different experience from what they had on that commercial, right? Especially for me, I have no luck when I gamble. By the way, that's a godsend, right? 
Imagine if I was trying to make ends meet and I'm gambling away half the money that I had, right? So, so tempering though that, that, that illusion is actually another good thing. In any event, yeah, you can look and think, wow, look at what the rich have tonight. Look at, look, look at the prosperity. Look what's going on for all these people that are making all this money in this city or in that city. You know, am I really missing out? And the answer is no, because you have peace in your heart with the Lord. He puts the gladness in your heart. He tells you that he knows what you need and he's going to take care of you. If he takes care of the grass in the field and the birds in the air, he will take care of you. And, and he will do it. So I, I'm off the hook. I don't have to be worrying and struggling and trying to compete with somebody else. Or I don't have to do that. Now, I may have to do that in my job, but I'm talking about in my heart. I can, at the end of the day, say I put in a good day's work. I've done what the Lord has asked me to do in whatever area of life he's asked me to do it. My job, my family, uh, the church, whatever. Right? And I can, I can rest because I know he's there for me. He's there for me. Even if, I, you know, even if I stumble, even if I have a situation where I can't work for six months, he's there. Um, most of us that have a few gray hairs somewhere um, re- have realized that that's so true. You know, one of the big tragedies, by the way, in our culture today is that it totally devalues age, which is a huge mistake for the simple reason that people who are older have gone through some things and come out the other end and they can tell you about it. And you can you can take young people, you can take from from um, courage from that, some confidence from that, some consolation from that. So listen to your elderly people. Now that I'm getting there, I'm more and more realizing that, you know, we're pretty smart. We, we have we have gone through a lot of things in life. So that's the other thing, too, is don't be afraid to look back and say, you know what? He's gotten me through things that on my personal level are far worse than I'm worried about having happened to me in the future. He was there for me then. He's all powerful. He loves me. He knows everything. He's righteous. He's gracious. He's going to be there for me in the future. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone Oh, Lord, make me to dwell in safety. From where does my help come? I look to the mountains where the Lord is, and I know it comes from you. All right, let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. We're going to look at the last part. The last part of this passage. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Notice it's an attitude here. It's not how much money you have. It's whether or not you're fixing your hope on it. Whether, that, whether like you're like the, the rich man in the parable who was not rich toward God. Right? Are you focusing, are you trusting in the uncertainty of riches? But you should be trusting in on God. Why? He richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Let's just slow down and take that in. He richly supplies us. The world is a taker. The Lord is a giver. He richly supplies us. Do you believe that? Because if you do believe it, then you will enjoy life. Now, you may not be a gazillionaire, but you'll enjoy your life. You'll be at peace. You'll be at rest. 
You'll be available for the people and so forth. He richly supplies us, notice, with all things. All things. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, everything you would want, every one of your frivolous desires, your bucket list. Now, he's not really that interested in your bucket list, truth be told. But he is interested in your having a relationship of trust with him and to realize that he is going to give us all kinds of things to enjoy. Maybe, you know, maybe it's not what wealthy um, the riches of this world, you know, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's having a, a good neighbor. Maybe it's having people in the church that are there for you. Maybe it's having more insight into the things of the Lord as you go through whatever you're going through in life. You know, like Romans 5, you know, affliction turns into perseverance, turns into proven character, turns into hope. And that hope will not let us down because of the love of God. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's that's part of the all things. God is working all things together for good. Those are all things too. Things that we may not like right now. But if we place our hope and trust in the Lord, we'll, we'll realize that even those things, even the disasters, even the health problems, even the unemployment, even the loss of friends, any of those things, he is taking that and it's going to turn out for our good somehow. We don't know how. We don't know when. We do know what, and that's in our hearts. And the rest that he'll give us, the confidence in him. All right, so again, but I want you to notice the last part. Don't, don't leave this out. He richly supplies us with all things, what? To enjoy. Huh. You know, I mean, people have this view about God, you know, that somehow he's watching us in, that, in a bad way, and he's like, critiquing our lives and saying, if we get something, well, you know what? You don't really deserve that. And how about the guy next to you? You know, there's a lot of, by the way, there's a lot of people in the church today, if they're being honest, they're really socialists. Because as soon as somebody has something, they're going to say, you know what? You shouldn't really have that. You should share with us, you know. Well, you know, that, that's true, but it shouldn't be something that is, is, is projected onto people. We're not in the age of, league, of, of the law anymore. You know, it's okay for you to have riches. He's given them to you to enjoy. Imagine that. Yes, preachers are going to get up here and we're going to say he's given them to you so that you have excess to give. And I'm going to say that today. But let's stop and first realize that first of all, he's given it to you to enjoy. To enjoy. All the things in life. Think about all the things that you have the opportunity to enjoy today. You know, maybe it's the beautiful weather. Maybe it's a lunch that you have. Maybe it's time with loved ones. You know, whatever it might be, he's given it to you to enjoy. Even when you're at your best financially, your life consists of far more than simply worldly riches. All right? Think about all the other things. Think about whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, of good repute. How many of those things do you have in your life? How many of those things? Think about all the friends in Christ that you have and realize that's he's given that to me to enjoy, to enjoy. Sometimes you're just going to have enjoyment out of these things and not be wondering, what should I do here? What should I do there? None of that. Just I'm going to enjoy it today. I'm going to enjoy myself in the things that the Lord has provided. Let me say that again. God wants us to enjoy all the things that he gives us. All of them. That's what it says. I mean, I'm, I didn't write this. God did. He richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So go ahead and enjoy them. By the way, he said something similar 
in chapter 4. We were there not too long ago. Please turn to 1 Timothy 4, verse 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. Want you to remember this? Uh, maybe you know the story of Peter when he was hanging out and the Lord wanted him to go to the Gentile family. And, but first he had to get a few things straight. Because he was still operating in the idea that, you know, don't touch this, this is bad, and so forth. Well, if he had that attitude towards food, he's going to have that attitude towards the Gentiles too. So the Lord had to cure him of that. And what he did was he took a, a sheet and he put all the kinds of things that were forbidden in it. And he said, he dropped it down and he says, hey, take it, eat it. Right? Jesus said the same thing. He said, you know, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of the man. You see, everything created by God is good. Everything created by God is good. Go back to the garden. Anytime you want to understand God's original plan for the human race, you can go back to the garden where he said, I've given you everything that you could ever imagine. It's all good. It's all for you. I'm giving it to you. You're not going to have to, this is in the garden. You're not going to have to work for it. You're not going to have to worry about anything. Here it is. Well, God's heartbeat has never changed. You see, what happened was the human race changed. We fell. We put us into situations where, guess what? Now we do have to work, right? Adam, when he got out of the garden by his own choice, now he has to work, you see. That's just cause and effect, by the way. That's just the way it works. But um, the fact of the matter is, is that his heartbeat towards us has never changed. He wants us to understand that everything he's created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. All foods are good. Receive, it with, receive them with gratitude. All the blessings in your life are good. Receive them with gratitude. Well, here's the thing, though. When, you're, when, you, when you hold on to everything, every penny, there's people, people joke about it. You know, he still has the first dime he earned in life. You've heard that expression. But there's some people that really like that. You know, they, they kind of think, well, maybe I don't quite have enough. Maybe something's going to happen in the future. I got, it's all mine. I got to hold on to every bit. I'm going to need all of this for myself. You ignore the fact that the Lord has richly given you all things to enjoy, and he will. But not only that, he really has given you some things that he wishes for you to share with others. Now, you know, if you're doing this, you can't be doing this, right? This is who God is, right? This is what fallen man is. Which one are you going to choose? Are you going to be the fallen man who's saying, "Um, I'm naked now, I've got to clothe myself? um, Or you're going to say, I'm going to be like my father. You know, being like your father, guess what he says? He says, you'll have more than enough all right, whatever it is that you play, wherever your heart is and you want to provide for others, you're going to have more than enough to do that. That's just what the Bible has to say. It's not the prosperity gospel. He's saying you already have it to give and he will continue to provide for you so that you can. All right. So that's what he's saying in 1 Timothy 4. But again, by hoarding on your wealth, here's the problem. So when you think about this, this is the essence of what he's saying in today's passage. By hoarding your wealth, you're missing out. And you're missing out on the best investments of all for the future. That's what he's saying. By future, I don't mean, he doesn't mean 
the years to come. A lot of people, when they hear the future, they think, oh, when I retire. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying the best investments for the future are not even for this present world. He says the best investments, and you can make them now with what you have for eternity. For eternity. When you are like the father who who gives his reign to the good and to the bad, when you freely give all day long, you lend and lend. David said, I have been young and I have been old and I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their descendants begging bread. But not only that, he says, listen, if you give freely and the Lord says, you know what, don't show it off. Don't be making a big show when you give because you already got your reward. He says, but when you give freely to others, you have you have treasure in heaven. Now, this treasure in heaven is not money. We're not going to need money in heaven. Can you imagine what heaven would be like if we needed money? We got to run to the bank every day. No, it's not going to be that kind of treasure, gang. It's going to be things that we can already have a taste of in time. Because in Ephesians chapter 1, it says you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the wealth that is not going to run out on you. So those investments are for all of eternity. And we should start thinking about it that way. And it'll really help us to just let go, relax, understand that there's, you're never in a more secure situation in life when you, when you give something that you don't need or maybe do need a little bit to somebody who desperately needs it. Why? Because you're now like your father in heaven. He's now looking down and saying, ah, they're finally getting it. He's finally or she's finally acting like one of my children. That's what I want. I adopted them. I want them to freely give like I freely give. There's no more, trust me, there's no more secure place to be than be that person on that, in that day. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 12, verse 33. Luke chapter 12, verse 33. This is how the Lord put it. Now I want to caution you. There's this thing called dispensations. That's a fancy word for saying that there were things going on when the Lord was here, and, and those things are, are, are different from how things are going on now. All right? I think I've told you already, but in case I haven't, we're, the next book we're going to study is the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, for example, you see all these people coming to faith is what you're looking at, progressing. First of all, they say, wow, what a great miracle. And then they say, wow, you're a great teacher. And then all of a sudden, Peter realizes that you are the Son of God. And so you move along. But you know what? Now we are so blessed because we have the whole thing dumped in our lap. When somebody preaches the gospel today, it's all, hopefully, this is why it's so important to get the gospel right, it's all there for us. It's all been completed. God's son became man. He died for all your sins. He's risen from the dead. You believe in him, you have eternal life. The story is all together now. But when Jesus was walking on the earth, he had to bring people along. That's just one example of that. So let's take it with that perspective in mind. There's some things that are different, but Luke chapter 12, verse 33 Sell your possessions and give to charity. Sell your possessions. Now, he was saying this, by the way. He told the rich young man, this is what I mean about temptation getting in the way. But he told the rich young man, listen, if you want to be complete, sell everything and give to the poor and follow me. He's not telling us that anymore. Right? The reason why it was appropriate, by the way, when Jesus was walking the planet is because he was leading people into the kingdom. If but they would, re- they would you know, receive him as king, they would be in the place 
of the millennial reign. If you've ever read that before, you know how wonderful that is. You're not going to need cash there either. We won't be there, okay, because that's when the Jews will be finally having their king, and then the Gentile nations will all stream to Jerusalem. But it'll be a time of unprecedented prosperity and health and good weather and so many other things. They were headed there with the Lord. So they didn't need their possessions, all right? He would later on, though, say, okay, now that I've been rejected, now you better have a money belt. You better have a sword. So you have to look at when is, it, when is this going on? What time is it? In any event, sell your possessions and give to charity. The, the attitude's never changed, all right? Then he said, I love this next expression, make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. I love that. What is that? An unfailing treasure in heaven, in heaven. He would say to the disciples, he would, somebody came up and said, you know, we've given up everything to follow you. And they haven't given up everything. He says, relax. He says, there's nobody who's given up house or farms or children or any of those parents or any of those things, notice what he says, who will not receive them back a hundredfold in this life and then even more in the next life. So he's going to take care of you. He's looking for that attitude in your heart to trust him. Do you trust the Lord? That's the whole question here. Again, sell your possessions. Give to charity. Make yourself money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near. Here's the uncertainty of riches, isn't it? No thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there's your heart will be also. You know, I think about the fact that so many people are afraid that a thief is going to take what they have. You know, people are so worried, for example, that, I mean, they have security systems. The richer you are, the more elaborate your security system has to be, right? And then, and not only that, but now people are worried about somebody over the internet is going to take my house. And there's all this worry about the fact that things can happen to your wealth. And it's true. The human wealth, the wealth for this world, but not the, not the wealth in, in heaven, not the unfailing treasure. And then he says, this is the key now. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He wants the Lord, where, what is the Lord, where does the Lord want our heart? To be solely on him. If, we, if our heart is on our treasures, we can't serve two masters. It's one or the other. One leads to life, the other leads to corruption. Take your pick. All right, let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. 1 Timothy 6, 18. We'll continue in this passage. 1 Timothy 6.18. You know, if you're you're trying to find 1 Timothy 6, I get it. Because you know what I have? I have this Bible, which is a good thing if you're a pastor, of course. And um, I got about like 12 bookmarks in it now. You know, well, I got to keep them straight what they are. You know, I have the Holy Ribbon and that's where I am right now. Like that's in First Timothy 6, you know, but on Thursday evening we're in Isaiah. So I got to figure, where are we in Isaiah now? And then I'm moving to the Gospel of John next. And so, and that's kind of like, I'm old fashioned. I don't, I don't use, a, you know, a phone, but that's okay. You know, it's okay to like realize that, um, okay, we're going to be here for a while. I'm going to mark this off. So, you know, give yourself, do yourself a favor and do that wherever we are. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, 
storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. He's still talking about the rich here, those who are wealthy in this present world. However, what's going to happen is he's going to move and all of a sudden he's going to, we're going to realize that now he's talking about all of us. And that's what's happening here. Yes, he's telling the rich to do good, to be rich in good works. Why? Because their temptation is look down on the poor, right? Trust in their riches. So he's, them in particular, but all of us in general, we'll see that. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works. You want to be rich? Be rich in good works. That's a full life. That's a complete life. There's nothing in this world that is more blessing than when, you, when you've given something to somebody freely and you see what a difference it makes in their life and you can feel like, you know what? I really mattered to somebody when I did that. There's nothing like, I, I'm vain and I'm arrogant. I shouldn't do this. But I still think about some of those situations when I was able to bless somebody financially. And I still have like this great feeling. Because again, it's like, I'm like my father. I'm able to do that. This really is true. And uh, there's nothing like it. In any event, be rich in good works. Be generous. Be ready to share. That's an attitude. Right? There's behavior here, the good works, and then there's an attitude. Be generous of spirit, of heart. Be ready to share. In First John, we read that, you know what? If somebody sees a brother in need and what? closes his heart to him. It's ultimately an issue of the heart. Where's your heart? You know, you may not have everything that, you, that a brother or sister needs, but if your heart is, I want to help them in any way I can, then you got treasure in heaven. That's what the Lord is looking for. Where's our heart? Where's our heart? Stirring up for themselves, in verse 19, the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. I don't know if you've seen this in the passage, but you probably have at least sensed it or be aware of it in some level. But there's a Greek word group that's being used here for rich, also riches and richly. It's used four times in these three verses. At first, it does talk about worldly riches. We've seen that. Rich in this present world, uncertainty of riches. Okay, then it shifts. Now we notice in the passage now, Now it talks about God richly supplying us. That's a shift from uncertainty of riches, my own wealth in this present world, to, hey, God's got riches you can't even imagine. And then finally, as a response to God's generosity, being rich in good works. Now again, Paul is directing his instructions to the rich. There's no mistake about it, he is. The reason is, though, is because they're the ones who are tempted to trust in their riches. And that's, that's when their heart is completely wrong. When your heart is completely wrong, then you're going to be, it's interesting, but you're going to be less likely than somebody of modest means to be generous in good works and be ready to share. Isn't that strange? Isn't that crazy? But it's true. All right? So he's saying, if you're trusting in your riches and ignoring God, right, then, then your heart is in the wrong place, and then you're not going to be doing any of this stuff. Um, the people that are, that are poor, not all of them, but again, we're talking about temptation, okay? They don't have the temptation to think, you know, uh, if, I just, if I just hold this back, I'll be rich. You know, it's kind of hard to be rich when, you know, and if they, and so, but instead, 
so many of them are there to help other people. Part of the reason is, is because they've been there themselves. They've been there themselves and they understand how hard it is to be in that situation, perhaps, where you don't have enough money to, to um, give, your, give your children every new clothes that they need. Or maybe you're a little short and you can't really get the kind of food that you need and so forth. So people who have been there have more empathy. That's just the way it works. People who have never been there can't even get their arms around the idea of what it'd be like to be poor. And so a lot of times, if their heart is right, the poor are actually more generous to one another than the rich. And so, why? It's not because they're bad people and good people. It's because the temptations are different. Temptations are different. That's all he's talking about. Because make no mistake, as Christians, we're all called to be rich in good works. That's not just for the wealthy. It's for all of us. We're all called to be generous. Now, now it's too bad that when we hear the word generous, we just think about money. Get, that, get, that, get rid of that idea. Because there's so many ways that you can be generous to others with your time, with listening to people, with being there for them. You know, there's times when, just, when somebody's really hurting and you just show up with McDonald's. That means more to them than if you're taking them out to Ruth Chris. So it's not about the amount. It's about what you have in your heart, what you're able to express with your generosity. We're all called to be that. You know, it doesn't take a million dollars to be be rich in good works. It doesn't. It just takes an attitude in order to say, you know, I'm going to... We all have, by the way, the same amount of time every day. I know you've heard this before. But being rich in good works means that you don't hoard all the time in the day for yourself, but rather you leave some time in your day or available being willing to share some of your time. You can be rich in good works because we all have the same amount of time and to be generous. Now, I want you to show this in the Scriptures. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. By the way, I want to say hello to everybody who's on the Internet, the live feed right now. We don't, you know, sometimes, a lot of times I don't, we don't mention you, but we don't forget about you. We know you're out there. Also, anybody who comes later on who's going to either watch the video or listen to the message, thanks, we're here. We're thinking about you. We're still going strong, if that's the right way to put it. We're still going anyway. Um, And we appreciate it, and we appreciate you, and we hope that you appreciate us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10. Now, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, those are perhaps the more popular verses, right? Ephesians 2.8 and 9. Why? Well, because it's the story of the grace of God. It should be the more popular in a sense, right? By grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, but then then you turn turn to the next verse and then we see something else. There's, there's the salvation, which is, which is God's grace through faith. But then we're adopted children now, and then we move along to the next phase, and the next phase is to realize that you're complete, you as a completely, you know, the new creation that you are, are totally his workmanship now. All things passed away, all things are new. We're now, as believers in Christ, we're his workmanship. The life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. We're his workmanship. We're, as it were, his project. He began a good work in you when you became a Christian, 
and he will continue until the day of Christ Jesus. We're his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus. We've been created, us. Don't forget that. We're a new creation. So when we believe in Christ, we're created new. All, of, all about us. The old things have passed away. New things have come. We've been created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works. For good works. In Romans 8, it says, you know what? We could never fulfill the law on our own, but now that we are saved and have the Spirit in us, guess what we can do? We can fulfill the righteousness of the law. Huh. What does that mean? It means God's heart in the law. The law says you have to do this. That's a bondage. We were under the law. We were under the curse of the law. We're not there anymore. We've died to the law so we can live to God. And when we live to God, we actually fulfill the righteousness of the law, meaning, and it goes way beyond that. We don't steal, but way beyond that, we give to those who are in need. It goes way beyond it, but it's the righteousness of the Lord. It's the attitude. It's what God was looking for from the Jewish people and didn't get. For more of that, Come on Thursday evening at 6.30. We're studying the book of Isaiah. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works now, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Look at verse 28 of chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 28. This This is who we are now. Part of our work being God's workmanship, part of being created in Christ Jesus, Part of fulfilling the righteousness of the law. Ephesians 4.28 He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. We all have a place in life where we can perform with our hands. That's a metaphor. Where we have, we've been given an ability, a talent, resources to work and to produce what is good, Right? But here's part of the reason why. So that he will have something to share with one who has need. This is all of us. This is all of us. Just like what he's saying is, is that you can still live like you were before. You can, I don't know why he set this up, but you can still be living like the old man lives. But we're called to lay that aside, right? The old man steals. Don't do it. Okay, but now shift. Put on the new man, right? What does the new man do? He, he labors, performs with his own hands what is good for a reason, so that he may have, here we go again, something to share with the one who has need. Something to share with the one who has need. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. Whoops. Hebrews 13, 16. We'll see one more passage on this. Hebrews 13, 16. Hebrews 13, 16. And here we go again. Do not neglect doing good and sharing. But with such sacrifices, God is pleased. We know that God is pleased by our faith. We also know he's pleased when we have a, a generous heart. But that, if you have a generous heart, you know, it means that you're going to do good when you can. And you're going to share when you can. That's the kind of sacrifice with which God is pleased. And that's for all of us, whether we're wealthy or not. Okay, back to 1 Timothy now. Chapter 6, verse 18. What's the result? 
when we are living a life rich in good works, when we do have a generous heart that translates into being a giver, okay, what's the result of that? 1 Timothy 6.18, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Here's the result. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. What does that mean? Basically, it means this. It means laying up for yourselves now the first fruits of the age to come. In other words, we can live in eternal life now. right? A, a taste of it. Okay, when it says the treasure of a good foundation, it's basically meaning you can have the first fruits now, but it's going to be fully in bloom in the age to come. That full harvest of eternal life, that's what it is. That awaits our entrance into heaven. Please go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. Now we can lay up for ourselves the first fruits of the age to come. The full harvest of eternal life, which we can have now in a measure, awaits our entrance into heaven. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. For in this way, in this way in context means you're adding virtues, you're adding virtues. In that way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. What does that mean? Well, we know we're saved. It doesn't mean that. We know we're going to be face to face with the Lord. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that there will be an abundant supply for our entrance into the kingdom. We don't know exactly what that is. But we see all these passages that tell us that. That when we, that when we give generously, when we're rich in good works, when we're loving one another, there's something that's building up for us. Momentary light affliction is producing for us a weight of glory far beyond all comparison. We know it won't be literal riches or a literal crown, but it will be something he doesn't say this just to, just to make some words. It's true. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 35. I know I'm bouncing around a little, but Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Luke 6, 35. I know it's old-fashioned, but uh, the other way to do this is to get those tabs, you know. I used to make a mess of those tabs, by the way. I would, they would peel off them. But it's good to kind of be, when well, you're still trying to understand where things are. You can put those tabs at the beginning of every book and you can get there a little faster. Okay, so Luke chapter 6, verse 35, notice. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. That's how you know, by the way, that you're doing it God's way. Okay, it's when you're doing it to somebody you don't really care about. They've They've been, you know, bad to you in the past and yet you still, they're in need you help them. You lend, you love, you do good, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. And then the ultimate reason. What's the ultimate reason for this doing of good works and sharing? It's that you may take hold of that which is life indeed, that's eternal life, that you may take hold of that 
which is life indeed. The future here, of course, is the eternal kingdom, the eternal state, heaven. And as we do good works and we share, we're taking hold of now that which is life indeed, eternal life. Just like Paul instructed Timothy to do. Okay, look, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, as we wrap up today. 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith, remember? But notice what he says next. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. But wait a minute. I thought whoever believes in the Son of God will not perish, but has eternal life. If I already have it, why do I have to take hold of it? People have that, ask that question, right? It's a legitimate question to ask. Well, we know that we can take hold of eternal life in this life. Otherwise, he wouldn't tell us to. He tells it to Timothy in verse 10. He tells us in, in, uh, in verse 19, for us, we can take hold of that which is life indeed, eternal life. But again, here's what we have to get our arms around. We already have it. And yet we still need to take hold of it. What can that mean? Let me give you a little analogy. Analogy time. Okay, here's a car in the garage, actually, too. Guess what? You own a Ford Mustang. Isn't that great? You own it. You have it. And day after day, you just walk by the garage and you say, Look, I have a Mustang. Isn't that great? Well, sure, it's fine, but if it's sitting in the garage, you're not taking hold of it at all, are you? Not taking hold of it. How do you take hold of a car like a Mustang, especially? You drive it. You drive it. So you can have eternal life, but then you can also take hold of eternal life. So that it's something that's moving in your life and growing in your life. What? Eternal life, now in time. It's, only, it's a down payment. It's not the fullness of it. We can't handle the fullness of it. That will be in heaven. But now we can have a taste of it. We can live in it to some extent. And you might ask yourself, how? Well, we've already looked at it. We take hold of eternal life by being rich in good works. That's how it works. We take hold of it. We have it. We take hold of it. We drive it. How? By being rich in good works. That's how it works. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. He talks about this. He says, how do you know that, you're, that you've passed out of death into life? How do you know it? It's really simple. It's really simple. It's what the Lord told us. He told us when he was, a, when he was here, he told the, the Jewish people right before he was going to go to the cross. He said, eternal life, that's God's commandment. So if you follow his commandment, you'll be in eternal life now. And then Jesus, a little while later, would say, love one another as I have loved you. That's the one commandment. Look at 1 John 3.12. We know that we have passed out of death into life already. Because what? We love the brethren. If you want to take hold of eternal life, it's really simple. Love one another. That's how you can have a taste of eternal life now. Fellowship with the Lord, getting to know him, that's eternal life too. John says that, I mean, Jesus says that in John 17. He says, eternal life, Father, is this, that they may know you 
and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's eternal life. How do we get to know the Lord? We act like him. We're obedient to his wishes. And his wishes really straightforward. He says, love one another. Love one another as Christ has loved you. You You have the ultimate example of what it means to love by Christ on the cross. What that tells you is is that when you're willing to sacrifice for the benefit of somebody else, now you're loving them as Christ has loved you. That's eternal life. You can have an experience of it today. How? By loving someone else the way Christ has loved you. All right, we're closing now. One more passage. One more passage today. And I'm going to give you a moment to turn now to Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Go back to Galatians, on the other side of Ephesians, which we were this morning. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. We have eternal life. We can also take hold of it. We know it's a deposit. We know it's been given to us. But how do we live it out in time? Loving one another. This is so simple, but it's so profound. There's nothing more profound than eternal life when you think about it. And yet we can live in it now. And it's really straightforward. It's really practical. Everybody can do it. We all have 24 hours in the day. We all have something that somebody else needs. That's how you live in eternal life now. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh, hoards what he has, from the flesh will reap corruption. Reap corruption. You know, the moth eats up the clothing, the rust decays. The thieves take away corruption. However, the one who sows to the Spirit, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is not salvation. This is talking about now, in time. In context, he's actually talking about um, giving freely to those who, um, who, who give you the Word of God. I don't want to talk about that today. It's not the issue.